Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey guys, it's GQ here from How We Solve. And today we are having another episode. At today's show, we have our guest, John Pico, the author of the book, From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans. Pico is the founder of Watermark Consultant and a noted authority on customer and employee experience. He helps organizations impress their customers and inspire their employees, creating raving fans that drive business growth. John, welcome to the show. Hey, GQ. Good to be here with you. Glad to be catching up. Now, I'm a little bit of a CX nerd. (laughs) Kind of. Good for you. I had to dive into this conversation with you, but to outline the setup for the show, and I guess people might have already seen the title, what's the problem that we're solving today? The problem uh, that we are solving is how do you turn your customers, but also your employees and any other constituency that you serve, how do you turn them into lifelong fans for you and your organization? I love that. And with the concept of fans, because obviously you'll be diving into that as we go through the show, I like that it's not just, we've heard terms like evangelists, people like that will talk more about your brand, but I like the concept of fans and What made you decide on the term fans for training customers and employees? I like to describe a great customer experience as like a beautifully choreographed performance. And the reason I like that analogy is because if you think about it, what do you want to do with your customers, your employees, anyone that your business serves? You want them at the end of the interaction to be like an audience in a theater that rises to their feet, applauds in admiration, shouts for an encore. And then once they leave the theater, they just can't help but tell other people about the performance that they just, that they just witnessed. That's the goal. And so the idea of fans, I think, really evokes that kind of impression that we should all be trying to leave uh, on anyone that we do business with. The whole idea of the impression and the memory that you leave on people is a critical part of customer experience. Because if you think about it, it's how we recall that show or that business interaction that it's that recollection that's really going to drive our repurchase and referral behavior. That's really what it comes down to. And so that's why I like the word impress, because (laughs) this really is about leaving an indelible impression on the minds of the people that you're serving. I love that. I love that. And I, I think that one thing that was interesting about your book as well that you shared is it's not enough to satisfy, but to impress. And I love that. <laughs> when I think about it, there's always, in, in fact, one of the popular metrics that people measure customer experience on is customer satisfaction, right? So it's the idea is to satisfy a customer and how well you satisfy a customer. But then I think, I think impressing a customer, that's a much better way to differentiate a business in this case. Absolutely. The opening line of the book is that if you're aspiring to satisfy your customers, then you're aspiring to mediocrity. And, and I truly <laughs> believe that with all of my heart. I think that if you are focusing your business on customer satisfaction, then you, know, re- you really are buying a, a one-way ticket to the business graveyard. And the reason I say that is because there have been many studies that have shown that satisfied customers defect all the time. So if mm-hmm. you want to derive competitive advantage, strategic advantage, economic advantage from the experience that you are delivering, 
it's not enough to really satisfy customers. You need to impress them. You need to go a little bit above and beyond again. So that memory of the interaction is etched in their head. All right. That sounds good. And so let's dive into the meat of the, today's episode. So first of all, what's the first step for us to take when we want to turn customers and employees into lifelong fans? So I'd say that the first step is really understanding who your customer is and having a, an appreciation for what that term means. Because many people, when they think of the term customer, they think traditional consumer, the person that's writing the check for the products or services that you're peddling. And you really want to take a broader definition than that, because there are so many different constituencies that play an integral role in helping your business to succeed. And so sometimes your customer will be a traditional consumer. Sometimes it might be an individual and an institution if you're in a B2B business. But sometimes your customer might be a colleague that's just a few steps down the hall from you. Sometimes your customer might be a member of your staff, one of your employees, because these are all constituencies that you want to be delivering a great experience to, to energize them, to equip them, to inspire them to become those lifelong fans. And so I think that is the first step is really to embrace this broad definition of all of the different players that really constitute a type of customer for you and making sure that you're being thoughtful about understanding what makes them tick. What are they trying to get out of the relationship with you? What are their basic needs, their hopes, their aspirations? And how can you then create an experience for them that's going to resonate strongly and that's going to leave that, that incredibly positive impression on them? So I'd say that's the first step is you want to dispense with this traditional idea that the customer is just the person that's writing the check, paying for your products and services. I think you've got to embrace a much broader definition. And with this broader definition and the way it's connecting all the other parts of the puzzle or connecting the people that are not just, as you say, the end consumer, but also the people who are delivering or working on the product or service that you have as a business. Because when you have and this is something that we strongly believe in, that when you have happy employees or when you have happy team members, they will naturally go out of their way or want to, or when they're, if, as you say, they're fans of your brand, they will be screaming and shouting about how wonderful the brand is, what it's like working there. That carries across into the experiences that they engineer for your consumers. Yeah, it most certainly does. There is a flywheel effect here. Once you get both the employee experience and the customer experience churning along in a good way, because if you think about it, these are really two sides of the same coin, the customer experience and the employee experience. You can't over the long term deliver a great differentiated customer experience if you don't have employees that are engaged, inspired, and equipped to do so. Once you've got the employees on board, once they're engaged, once they're excited, that is obviously going to lead them to invest more discretionary effort in doing a great job for you, your company, and your customers. And also it works the opposite way. When you have happy, loyal customers, it helps to create more happy, engaged employees. Because think about it, if you don't have happy, loyal customers, let's say that your customers hate your business and they're complaining all the time. That's a horrible workplace to be in because when you think about it, every time you pick up the phone or you open up an email from a customer, you're thinking, oh gosh, what's it gonna be this time? Every time they contact you, it's a complaint, it's something bad. And that weighs on your employees and it just further disengages them. It makes them run for the hills, want to work somewhere else. There is this flywheel effect that gets created when you get those two sides of the coin kind of operating just the way that they should. And then conversely, if you're not getting them operating as they should, it just is an anchor pulling down the performance of your whole business. That, that makes so much sense. And now 
once we have those, you know, once we reshape the way we look at it, right? So now we, we instead of thinking about just customer experience for the end consumer, we've also viewed this as the entire organization, the people we work with, our partners, our employees. What's the next step that we should take? Once you've got this broader definition of customer and you're embracing that, the next thing I would say that you want to do philosophically is really focus on this idea that you are not just in the business of shaping customers' experiences, you're in the business of shaping their memories. And this goes back to, to what goes back to what I was alluding to before in terms of the word impression and why I use that term very deliberately, because you need to think about this as etching a memory into somebody's head. And the reason that memories are so important in customer experience design, let me boil it down to this. Imagine GQ that you're my customer. Okay. I run a business. You're my customer. And one of your colleagues at an industry conference catches you and says, Oh, hey, you know, I'm in the market for product X. And I remember you telling me that you work with John Pico's company. How is he? How is his company and his products? What do you think? The next thing that's going to come out of your mouth is not going to be based on the experience that you had with my company. It's actually going to be based on what you remember about that experience. And the way that our brains are wired, those two things can actually be quite different. And that's why great companies, the ones that really do this so well, they recognize that they're not just in the business of shaping experiences. They're in the business of shaping memories. They're in the business of shaping people's perceptions. They're in the business of sculpting people's memories. With the objective being that people walk away from the interaction and they remember all the goodness of it, while the stuff that was just neutral, average, or maybe even below average kind of melts from their recollection, evaporates. That is the holy grail of customer experience design, because it means you don't have to be perfect at everything that you do. You just want to make sure that you are shaping people's memories in a way so that what they walk away with are the recollections of all the great stuff that you did. Whereas the not so good stuff, it just melts away. And so that would be the second key aspect of the philosophy is you really want to think about how people are remembering their interactions with you to create an experience that they don't just enjoy in the moment, but they actually look back on uh, fondly for a long time to come. Actually, that, that is so true. Now, now that we're talking about this, because when I remember interactions with different brands that I've shopped from, when you have a negative experience, you don't necessarily just remember, oh, I had a Okay, I guess most people would remember it as a bad experience, but there would be certain specifics out of that experience that you remember. So for example, getting passed around a lot and not necessarily resolving your inquiry versus, I, I know that there is a, I forgot the brand now, but there is a story that goes around a lot where there's a specific brand that has their customer service hotline open 24-7. And they're so focused on the providing great customer service that a, a, a customer may just call in and have a conversation with the agent or the staff on, on duty. And it may not necessarily just be a product inquiry or something about support about their, their products, but instead, because they're so heavily focused on delivering great customer service and CX, I think their motto or their line or, or the, the underlying value that they have is, hey, you just talk to the customer and help them as much as you can. And what had happened during this conversation was, the person was just calling because he was maybe he or she was just having some hard time or whatever. It was just chatting with the agent without anything relating to the brand. It was just like a conversation. He mm -hmm. or she needed someone to listen to. And the agent stuck it out through the end. It was a, a few hour long conversation, but that person remembered that so well. And it, it I think it became an example uh, that went on later on. I have to remember the company's name, but I've heard the story I, a few times. It sounds like you're describing Zappos to me. I think it was because... Zappos, was it? Yes, yes. 
Zappos, their whole philosophy is around the idea that with every call that comes in, every customer contact, be it a call, a chat, whatever, it's an opportunity to strengthen the relationship. And so in contrast to a lot of companies that look at those incoming inquiries and say, they look at their watch and say, okay, you got three minutes to answer this. Zappos tells its people, hey, listen, you stay on the phone, on the chat as long as you want to. We want to make sure that people feel cared for, that they feel heard. And whatever it is they want to talk to you about, you chat them up. And that's just strengthening the relationship. And obviously for Zappos, it's worked quite well. They obviously have done uh, very well for themselves. But that's a, that is a great example of focusing on not just a transaction, but really an interaction and, and trying to cr- shape people's memories positively as a result. Yep. The fact that you remember this as well, that you've read this, that you've you read about this somewhere. It's just amazing how this is just one single interaction is actually transcendent. Like it's just gone on and right, spread itself all lore. across the <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just global. Everyone knows about it. But so with, with that in mind, we talked about establishing a, a broader definition of a customer. We've talked about focusing on shaping memories, not just the experiences, which is amazing. I think that there are so many different ways a brand can shape memories for their customers. What's the next step? What's the third step to establishing lifelong fans? Now what we're getting into really are the techniques for creating those memories. What are the actual ways in an interaction that you do something that creates one of these peaks in the experience, I call them, that people are going to walk away with and remember? And the book, which the subtitle of the book, which is 12 Principles, right? I'm going to actually share a few of the principles here right now to give your listeners a taste of these techniques. So The first one that I wanted to share with you is the idea of finishing strong. And so this ties in very well with shaping memories because it's really based on a psychology principle called the recency bias, which essentially means that we tend to remember the things that the last thing that happens to us in an interaction, we remember it much better than any other part. And it actually exerts a disproportionate influence on our overall perceptions of the interaction. This is why, for example, a lawyer's closing argument to a jury is so important. It's why a fireworks display ends with an awe-inspiring finale. It's why mediocre comedies tack a funny blooper reel to the end of the film. These are all examples of entities that are trying to influence your overall perceptions by ending on a high note, by finishing strong. And one example I use in the book is about Alaska Airlines which in 2009 instituted what they called their 25-minute baggage guarantee. If you think about it, the last interaction that you have as a traveler, as an air traveler, is picking up your bags right off the carousel. And so no matter how wonderful the flight was, if it takes me 45 minutes to pick up my bag off the carousel, that's not finishing strong. And that last touch point is going to weigh everything down in my recollection. That's what I'm going to walk away with remembering. So Alaska basically said, hey, you know what? We're going to overperform on that last touch point. We're going to guarantee that people are going to get their bags within 25 minutes. They've actually since reduced it to 20 minutes. And not surprisingly, once they started doing that, they actually started winning J.D. Power's annual survey of North American airline carriers' customer satisfaction. And they were atop that ranking for 12 years in a row. Now, it wasn't just because they were delivering the bags within 25 minutes, though There were lots of things they were doing, but that was one thing that they were doing at the very end that when they did it really well, when they had that guarantee, it made people feel better about the rest of the experience because you were ending on that high note and that's what you're going to remember the best. And things that your listeners can do, for example, is at the end of a meeting with a client, take a moment to just recap everything that you're going to do. Recap what commitments you, you agreed to. 
so that you inspire a sense of confidence in them where they say, gee, John really understands what I said. He's got everything down. He's made clear commitments about what he's going to do and when I'm going to hear from him next. That's a great example of finishing strong. I know also you work within the software as a service business. So another example of this is with progress bars when you are installing software. That's part of the experience. And so one thing that you want to do when you actually design progress bars is you want them to go a little faster towards the end. Have you ever installed something and you get to 99% and it just sticks there forever? (laughs) That is an example of not finishing strong. What you remember then is, wow, it took a long time to install that. But if it starts slow and then it speeds up, that's what you're remembering because that's the end part and it makes it feel like the installation went faster. So that's one example of a cognitive science-based principle that helps to shape memories. This kind of goes back to many years ago when you would have like all these file transfers back in Windows item 95 or something. And you have that 99% transfer that takes 265 years. <laughs> you reach that. That, is, that is such a bad, yeah, that's such a bad experience that you, you're wondering, yeah. what am I going to do now? But I, I recall like when I see there are certain tools or even just achievements, right? Like, you know, when you, when you finish or you, you complete something, a task or whatever. Sometimes it's like all these rah-rah that appears on your screen to show, hey, well, good job, well done, you completed this or X, Y, or Z. But it reinforces it in such a positive manner that maybe you might have had some issues while running the software or going through certain tasks before, but now you're like, okay, great. I feel like I did a great job. Give myself a pat on the back. I'm not going to suggest that just if you have a well-designed status bar that suddenly everybody's (laughs) going to love your software and your business. That's not what I'm saying. But my point is these little cues and elements and interaction points, they all, be it consciously or subconsciously, do help to shape people's perceptions and memories of the experience. Uh, And part of good customer experience design is just understanding that and making sure you're being thoughtful and deliberate about designing and managing all of those different interaction points. I love that. I love that. And when we talk about finishing strong, right? And so now we turn to the customer, the overall orchestration of this performance, as you said, right? design performance. What's the next step? What's the next part of this? Yep. Another technique that I think is very influential is something I call giving people the perception of control. This, again, grounded in psychology, it's the idea that we as human beings like to be in control of like our surroundings and what's going on in our lives. And if we encounter an interaction where we feel like we're not in complete control, we just get less comfortable with that experience. Now, the problem is that in many businesses, you are sort of by design, people are relinquishing control to you. If I'm hiring you to configure some software for me, I can't do that myself. I have to delegate that to you. But the minute I do that, I am losing some sense of control here. And that means that the experience is likely to feel less good to me. But the good news is that a lot of research has been done on this and it's been discovered that there's a pretty good proxy for giving people direct control of what's going on. And that is giving them the sense, the perception that they have control. And if you do that, even though you're not changing the underlying experience really all that much, people miraculously feel better about it. And so let me give you an example that I use in the book to, to illustrate this. It was a research study that was done with the American Red Cross. A psychology student did this study where he went into a Red Cross and he divided the groups of donors into two groups. One group, when they went to give their blood, the nurse just asked them what was their non-dominant arm and took it, took the blood from that arm. But the second group, the nurse asked them, which arm would you like me to take the blood from? 
at the end of the day, they surveyed all the people that gave blood and the folks who were given the opportunity to choose what arm they wanted, they actually said that they had a better experience donating blood and they felt less pain. This is pretty amazing because you'd argue that the choice that you gave them of which arm to use is almost like a meaningless choice. You know, left arm or right arm, it is still a stranger coming at you with a sharp object. But what that does is this is one way to give people the perception of control is to give them an, a limited set of choices where they can exert some decisions and some judgment and they feel like they're shaping the experience around them. So it, it's a case of actually shaping conforming the experience to people's thoughts. I'm thinking, gee, I want them to take blood from my left arm and they give me that opportunity to actually express that preference. And so I feel control over the experience then. But that actually isn't the only way to do it. The other way, they redid the study and this time everybody had the blood taken from the non-dominant arm, but one group had to watch a two-minute video before they gave blood describing what they were going to feel when they went through the procedure, exactly how it was going to unfold. And then at the end of the day, again, they interviewed all the blood donors and the people who watched a two-minute video in advance, they said they had a better experience giving blood and they felt less pain. So what's happening there? By virtue of setting expectations with them, there what you're doing is you're conforming their thoughts to the experience. Because once you know what's coming around the corner, when you know what to expect, what's coming down the horizon, it helps you wrap your head around the experience and you feel like you've got some control over it. In truth, you're not only giving people the perception of control, you're giving them actual control. Because if I watch that two-minute video and I don't like what I see, I could be just like, oh, excuse me, I don't think I'm going to donate blood today. And so the, the key to giving people perception of control is you want to give them the power of choice so they can shape the experience or you want to set expectations with them really well so that they can wrap their heads around what they're about to go through. And like I said, the cool thing about this technique is you're not really changing the underlying experience at all. It's like when you're on an 800 line um, hold and the difference between being told it's a five minute wait versus just getting on the line and nobody telling you anything. Those feel like two very different experiences. A known weight feels much better than an unknown weight. And, and that's an example of that technique in practice in a traditional business scenario. And that, funny enough that you should bring up the phone, like being put on hold uh, over the phone. That was actually what, what, one of my lead up questions when you talked about control. Because in this day and age, we have so many different communication channels, right? When we talk about customer service today, if I wanted to hit up a store or a business, I can go through Instagram, I can go through Facebook, I can go through chat, email, voice. And so my question was actually going to come something, was going to go to something similar that you've mentioned where you know, with so many different choices that businesses are offering now. And I think the obviously the concept is, hey, we want to be able to talk to you or to have you talk to us in the channel that you feel most comfortable with. And on top of that, also be able to get the information that you want. And so some of the things that are have been trending for a while now are things like self-service bots, where you can ask, for example, where's my order to a bot? And then have to talk to a human agent. Do you think that amount of choices that people are orchestrating right now, is that generally a good thing? I mean, I guess there's obviously some level of positivity there, right? Like the positive results that you're seeing, but do you think that's the right path that most businesses should take, you know, offering more choices for people to talk and in that sense, create, as you said, matter of choice in terms of how they want to engage with brand? Or do you think really limiting that those communication channels down and giving a bit of flexibility would be a better option? I do think that giving people choice of platform and offering them a variety of platforms in this day and age is a wise thing to do. Unless your target market is a particular market that 
just does not interact on social media, then okay, obviously that's probably not a channel you want to invest in for service interactions. But in general, I would say that people like to have flexibility and know that they can engage with your business on their terms when they want to, where they want to. And the notion of me being able to choose whether I use the phone, the chat, the chat bot, text, whatever, that does figure into this perception of control point. It, it feels better than if I know there's only one way I can contact you, that's by chat and nothing else. That's actually a really bad experience in my view. And I've worked with some companies that try to cut corners. They don't want to invest in customer service. And so they just offer a chat option. But sometimes the problem is so complex that it would just be so much easier if I could talk to someone. So you do want to give them options, but you are correct that you don't want to give them unlimited options or too many. That actually violates one of the other 12 principles described in the book, which is about keeping things simple for your customers. The happy medium is to do something that Amazon actually does, which I think is very smart, which is they will ask you, what is the nature of your problem? They'll give you a bit of a tree to choose what it is that you've got an issue with. And then they'll come back to you and they'll say, here are three ways that you can contact us about this. And then they'll say, here's our recommended platform that you contact us with based on what you just told us about the nature of your problem. But they've got an algorithm which is figuring out how complex or simple is this. They don't want to route somebody with a complex issue through sort of an email exchange, which would be very unproductive and annoying. They want to maybe have that person call and, and do it over the phone. So I think that's how you sort of balance the, is it too much choice or too little? You give people choices, but then you act as a trusted advisor, steering them to the channel that's going to be best based on the situation they're encountering. I, I can recall, that's actually very fantastic that you shared this example. One experience I can recall was with, with uh, well, chatting with Apple, funny enough. So I, I was, I guess in a way, a victim of fraud. Or someone had just done something in my credit card and started buying some random stuff and then I give them like an email or something. But they called me like within a matter of like seconds or minutes. I was so surprised. And that was like <laughs> talking about shaping memories. That was a really good memory that I have with Apple. And the person was just even asking like, hey, he even gave recommendations on what you can do or not. And checked in with me and asked questions where, hey, you might want to consider this. When was the last time you did whatever? And the overall interaction was fantastic. And Although I had hit them up like through the form or whatever, but they gave me a call on my phone immediately and asked if I was okay to talk right now because that would be, it was a lot easier. In fact, now I remember, I think it was a chat that led to a phone call because they realized it didn't make sense to, you know, like, hey, let's continue chatting and solving this issue. So moving them, like I had the level of control, but also they were setting in some ways where that would be better resolved. I think that leads us to the final point that you're, that you're going to share as well in terms of building out lifelong fans. And that is, the emotional piece. So if you can expand on that, what do you mean there? Stirring emotion is what I call it. And the reason this figures in with, with the whole memory shaping is because experiences that are laced with emotion are far more memorable than those of, that are not. And if you think back to your own memories, for example, people who were alive for 9-11, they remember exactly where they were and what they were doing when they heard that news because it was a very emotional event for most people. But it doesn't just work with negative emotions. It also works with positive ones. So you find that people have very vivid memories of maybe the, the day they got married, the day their first child was born, the day they won the big sports championship. And so the reason this is relevant to customer experience is because if you're trying to derive competitive advantage from the experience you deliver, you really want to make sure that people are remembering 
their interaction with you over all other providers. So you would be remiss if you didn't use the power of emotion as a memory cue to sear the memory of that interaction into your customer's head in a favorable way. And a lot of the things, a lot of the stories that you were just telling me, if you go back to the Apple experience, if there's another story that you were just telling me, I forget what. Zappos, right, with the person who was just on the phone forever. Think about the emotional resonance of that interaction. That person had something on their mind by virtue of just talking it out with someone who was being friendly. What are they going to feel? They're going to feel better. They're going to feel relieved. Maybe they'll feel some peace of mind. In your interaction with Apple, what did you feel? You felt cared for. You felt like you were dealing with someone that was advocating for you, that you could trust, that was taking ownership and committed to helping you. That all evokes, it elicits certain emotions in people. And it's, and mind you, it's not just about accentuating positive emotions, making people feel good. It can also be accomplished by mitigating negative emotions. So for example, when you first called Apple, you were a victim of fraud. You probably had all kinds of anxieties and worries going on in your head. Oh my gosh, am I going to be responsible for these charges? Like, How long is it going to take to get this to resolve? Am I going to get another credit card quickly? If you get somebody on the phone then who immediately helps you put those negative emotions to the side, helps you to take them off the table, well, you will in totality be stirring the kind of compelling emotion that's going to make people remember that whole interaction in a positive way. And so the takeaway for your listeners really here is you want to think not just about the mechanics and the logistics of the experience that you're delivering to people. Instead, you also want to place equal emphasis on the emotional resonance. To put it in a different way, it's really about how do you make people feel during their their experience with you? Always ask that of yourself. Always keep that term in your mind. How is my customer feeling about what they're going through right now? Because even though you might pick up the phone and answer it in 10 seconds, it doesn't matter if at the end of the interaction, I feel like you've embarrassed me or you've devalued me or you've made me feel unimportant in some way, because that emotional outcome is going to be far more weighty in my perceptions and in my memories than the logical evaluation of, oh, they picked up the phone in 10 seconds, so I'm satisfied. That's not how it works. The emotional tail wags the rational dog to quote a famous social psychologist, Jonathan Haidt. And that's how it works in customer experience. The emotional resonance is going to trump everything else. Because emotion is just a really powerful driver behind our perceptions and our recollections. And so whether it's feeling peace of mind, feeling like part of a community, mitigating anxiety or worry, whatever it is, if there is an emotional valence to the interaction it has the opportunity to either elevate the experience and really catapult your business to success, or it has the the opportunity to leave what really are, for lack of a better term, emotional scars on your customers that are going to lead them to not only never want to do business with you again, but to also tell lots of other people about it. Because again, that memory, that emotion is just stirring memories, either very positive or very negative. So yeah, you just want to be very focused on how it feels to be your customer. And not just get wrapped up in the mechanics of delivering the experience. I love that. So to sum it up, there's a lot more information. You need to go and check out John's book to get all the information. But to sum up what we've discussed today into five points, the first one is to embrace a broad definition of what a customer means. So people should view the, view everyone that you work with as a type of customer 
for whom you want to engineer a great experience. Not even just a correction, not a great experience, but an impressive experience, right? And the second piece is to focus on shaping memories, not just experiences, because people remember their experiences with you. And therefore, that is more important than just delivering a great experience. Something has to be memorable. And the third one of that is to finish strong because, and I love that you've mentioned this concept of recency bias, right? You want to capitalize on that and interactions on a positive note. So that not only makes people remember it better, but also uh, it may help to mitigate or not erase, but make people forget any earlier negative uh, interactions. Then the fourth piece is giving the perception of control, which makes a lot of sense, that you want to give customers a sense of, I mean, that they've made the decisions themselves. They have their own choices. And also, one very key thing that you brought up was to set the expectations, right? So people know what to expect. Like the best, the really good example was if you have to wait on the phone for five minutes, it's better for someone to tell you that versus just please hold. And it just goes on and on for a very long time. So they generally feel much better about the experience because they already made their choice. They know what to expect. And that's obviously very good in reinforcing that memory. And the final piece to drive it home is to store emotion because the power of emotion can infuse very well with customer experiences. And you mentioned the word emotional resonance. I love that. So highlighting positive feelings while mitigating or stemming negative ones. I hope that kind of summed that up. Summed that up. GQ, in the you passed way. the test with flying colors. Wow! <laughs> Phew, I, I did it well. Better Thank myself. you. You get to come back and play for the car tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, but, but this is, no, John, this is really insightful for me as well, because I'm also in customer experience and what you mentioned today, you know, some of the things that you are basic that people tend to forget, like the memory piece, I love a lot. So where can people find your book? And you know, just to recap the title, it is From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Feds. Where can people find your book, John? Sure. So the book's official website is impressedtoobsessed.com. That's impressed, the number two, obsessed.com. And so from there, you can learn about the book. You could actually buy it from any of your favorite retailers. You could also jump from that site to my personal speaker website, as well as my company's website, Watermark Consulting. Those are all accessible from the book website, but that's where you should go. Fantastic. And if people have more questions about today's you know, conversation that we've had, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will, because even I do. <laughs> so what's a good way to contact you? Via email, you can send a message to hello at watermarkconsult.net. You could also go to that book website, which again will lead you to the company website or my speaker website. And there's a contact us page there. You can use that as well. And then, of course, uh, on social media, Twitter, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, you can also message me through those platforms. I'm giving people limited choice, right? Just like, you know, different <laughs> platforms. I don't know what your problem is or your need, so I can't direct you to one particular, but there, you've got choice to choose any of those. <laughs> That's amazing. Living by the book that you've written, of course. <laughs> yeah. So you have to lead by example. I love that. John, thank you so much for your time and for joining me on today's show. This was really insightful and I'd love to continue that conversation outside of this episode and talk more. Thank you, GQ. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you so much, John.
And that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. We work really hard to produce this show to support you and your businesses and to help people out there, really. So we do have a small favor to ask of you to help us with our journey, and that is leaving a review on our show on Apple Podcasts. We really are keen in listening to your feedback or hearing your feedback. So please let us know what you think of the show and what we should discuss in future episodes. Now, also, one other thing is how we solve is more than just a show. So if you do have some needs right now with your business growth, well, we do offer a full suite of services that can help you accelerate your growth and maximize revenue for your business. So check us out on our website at howwesolve.com to learn more. And with that, peace out and take care. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.